Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 339. Jack Osa is with us, Osa Studio, winner of the 2020 Charette Venture Group Architecture Business Plan Competition. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. Gusto, easy online payroll benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Jack Osa, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Happy to be here. It's great to have you here, Jack. Jack, you are the winner of the 2020 CVG, the Charette Venture Group Architecture Business Plan Competition. Uh, and that's where we met. That's how I've learned your story. Um, uh, and that's great. I love the, the, the competition. I think it's a very powerful uh, program that Charette Venture Group does. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But I'm fascinated by your story. I really love your story. And I want to share your story with our audience. Uh, and But before we get into where where you started and where you are now and the type of work that you're doing, which is also really interesting. Um, I want to just introduce you and then talk about your origin story. Um, Jack Osa is an architect, uh, designer, and a podcaster. He is the founder and principal of Osa Studio, an architecture and brand design firm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Jack was born and raised in Columbia, South America, where he obtained an architecture degree. He is a first-generation immigrant, bilingual, and bicultural professional, always interested in exploring the intersection of business, creativity, and culture in order to become a catalyst for positive transformation. Uh, Jack, so that gives people just a little bit, a little tiny sliver of your story. I wanna dive deeper. I wanna go back to where you started, where you discovered architecture, uh, what inspired you to become an architect, and then share that story to where we are today here at Charlotte, North Carolina. Sure. Well, as you said, I was born in Colombia, South America, many, many years ago. And uh, interesting uh, story, when I graduated high school, my, uh, my first inclination was to start with engineering school. So I, I started um, 
the engineering school and uh, was there for about six months. Then I realized that, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is not what I thought this was going to be. Um, you know, I'll, since I was growing up, I was always very interested in like how things are put together and kind of like mechanics of things and understanding how things work. So, you know, in my mind, I thought that was very engineering-like. Yeah. But when I went to school, I realized, man, this is not this is not for me. What yeah, was it about yeah. engineering school that you know was clearly not your path? It was extremely analytical and and very rational, and and I think it lacked a little bit of the um, um, design and artistic part of architecture. Yeah. Uh, I didn't didn't even know that I was gonna find that in architecture. So uh, one day when I was coming back from engineering school, I was kind of you know frustrated. I ran into a friend, and she was coming from from her um, first year of university and she showed me she had a model in her hands and and I was like, what is that? And I was very intrigued. And she's like, wait, it's a model that and she started talking about architecture and I was like, okay, that's it. That's what the I want to do. The light bulb, light <laughs> yeah. bulb over your head. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. so it was interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful because I was able to go, you know, go talk to my parents because I was living with my parents and just say, you know, I'm sorry, this is not for me. I'm going to switch to architecture. How did that conversation go with your parents? Were they? It was very well. I was very, very surprised. Yeah. Yeah. They, they said, yeah, you know, that's okay. You try it. Um, let's, let's start over again. You did know, they, did they six... recognize that you were frustrated with, with engineering? Yeah. Did they know that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I'm sure when you came home all enthusiastic and, and happy <laughs> that they, <laughs> that you found a new path, they probably were relieved yep. as parents. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. So I talked to my friend, John joined the same architecture school and that's that's how everything started. And then so so you went through that school, you got a degree in architecture school in Colombia, and then where what happens after that? Well, I went to architecture school and um, you know, during the whole it was a five year degree, so during that process it was very interesting, but okay, because I felt that every year I was kind of discovering what really architecture was you know you you would start with a with an idea but then the more you get into the profession you start understanding more layers and the depth of the profession and you get you know more interested on other things so i always look at um i was very interested in design very interested in technicality i realized that it really fit my um you know how my mind works i think i have a good balance between art and technique and you know understanding rationality and you know things that needs to be exact but always having the ability to be more expressive or you know bring design on the an artistic side of the things and into the profession so you know i became in love with architecture in architecture school started collecting books and and reading magazines and looking at things and and i always was very impressed and interested in um you know in big architects um, and I look at a lot, like, you know, at that time I used to watch like these things about Hadid and Morphosis and Rick Owen Moss. And it was like all about deconstructivism. Right, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I love these books. And, and you know, even at that time, they, they weren't even built projects. It was later on that they started building that kind of projects. And I really fell in love with, with the design and the depth of the thinking that, that they show. And I, I set my mind, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go to United States and be an architect. Um, you know, uh, Colombia has a really good uh, history of very good architecture. Um, it's very... Um, very interesting because there was a point where uh, Le Corbusier went to Colombia and he set a huge influence in modernism and people became very passionate about modern architecture and, and evolving the quality and the theory of the practice. But I always like uh, the idea of, you know, looking somewhere else. So I went to architecture school, I graduated and I started working for a small firm where we used to do a lot of um, like convenience stores in in Colombia, but they they all the standards were sent from United States. Mm -hmm. So part of my job was to kind of start translating, you know, English and inches to cent centimeters, and start kind of looking at how do we adapt the design to the local context. 
So that's where I've kind of got a little bit more understanding of the reality. And at that time, I've always been very passionate about technology. So I was like really good in AutoCAD, um, very fast with my drawings, always trying to make them really nice, good to read. And working with that firm, I set my mind to to come to United States and I told my parents that's what I wanted to do. And it just so happened that it was a time where the economic situation of the country wasn't, you know, very optimal for a new professional. And my younger brother was graduating from high school and he said, well, I, I'll, I'll go with you to United States. We can do it. So my dad gave us three, $2,000. I, I saved about $1,500 and uh, my younger brother and I came to United States with $3,500. Wow. And that yeah. that the inspiration to to go to the United States was that that was that a direct response from seeing those architects in those books and saying if I want to do this type of architect I need to be in the U.S. Yeah, it was part of that. I know for some reason I always thought I was going to go somewhere else. I think in the history of my family, like my parents, their 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 parents, they grew up in the rural side more countryside of the of Colombia and then their generation was the what they brought the, the next generation to the cities mm-hmm. and kind of moving and I felt like you know I was kind of always thinking uh, where is the next right. step for my generation to to go to and explore yeah do you do you feel that way now as a because you're a parent right you have kids yeah mm-hmm. um, do you feel that way too that 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 are you sort of looking at that as What's their next step? What is where? Where do they go oh, from here? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I always try to talk to them about you know what's you know what what are other things around here. Even they're they're still uh, little, but we you know we'll take them to yeah. you know New York City and Europe and just showing them who look there's there's other things there's other ways to to explore and enjoy life. Yeah, yeah. So so you decide that you're going to move to the United States. You and your brother pack up. 3,500 bucks in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, did you, did you know that that was not a lot of money at the time that you, no, you, I had no idea. Yeah. You're like, Oh, we're good. Yeah. We got money in our pocket. We're going to the United States of America. We're good. So how yeah. did you, you're now you're based in North Carolina. Is that where you landed? Is that where you So I went? landed in Atlanta, Georgia, because I have, uh, three cousins that they live there. So they, the ones that you know, like we're waiting for us at the airport and we were there for about two weeks. And then I had another cousin that she was here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we had, um, we had a plan that we were going to kind of settle in Atlanta, but we wanted to come to Charlotte and visit our, our cousin just for a weekend to see how she was doing. And she, we came for a weekend and we never left. Since <laughs> since we saw the city first time, I was like, wow, this city is so beautiful. I think a big part of that was the contrast, you know, coming from um, Bogota, Colombia, which, you know, at that time the city may have about 9 million people. Yeah. So the environment is very close to New York City. It's very fast, dense. There is a lot of activity, very dynamic, and, you know, all the problems that comes with a big city, traffic, all those kind of things. And uh, Charlotte, North Carolina still is, but even more when I came, it was very peaceful. Yeah. There's a lot lot of green, uh, very open, and and I, I think it kind of fit my personality, and, and I feel like, oh, wow, it just feels good to be here. Yeah. So uh, with the $3,500, uh, at that time it was about $3,200, um, <laughs> we, we rented an apartment for three months. I paid three months of rent, and we bought a car for $1,000. We bought groceries. That was uh, um, in winter. And we started just looking for jobs. What, how old were you? 24. And your brother was how old? Uh, 20. So 20 and 24 moved to to Charlotte. So okay, this is where we're going to settle. Um, yeah. And what year was that? How long ago was that? 2001. 2001. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so about about 20 years ago, 19 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I I've been coming to Charlotte. I've moved to Charlotte too, just for context. I've moved to Charlotte last July, um, and so I agree with you. I love the city of Charlotte for all the reasons that you just described. Um, mm-hmm. Also coming from from um, uh, New York, just out of New York City, my city growing up was New York City. And so the contrast 
everything right. that you just described. I love New York City with a passion, uh, but I love Charlotte, that it's clean mm-hmm. and small and, and you can sort of take it all in in one shot. Right. Yeah. And and it's very design focused. There's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, focus on design there. And I really enjoy uh, the environment here. And people are nice and friendly and, and I love the weather. Uh, sure. So there's there's the endorsement for Charlotte. For yeah. Interested. <laughs> uh, so so 24 years old, moved to Charlotte, thirty two hundred dollars in your pocket. Um, architecture degree in your in your portfolio. What do you do? How do you, how do you, what's so, next step? So, you know, the first thing is just, you know, find a job because you need to start paying bills because I rented an apartment and I found a job um, in, in with um with another friend that who was living here that I met, who was uh, Colombian as well. We started cleaning windows for um, home builders. When they finish the homes, you need yep. to go clean the windows, you know, part of the final cleaning. So I was doing a lot of that. And my brother found a job in uh, construction. And about two weeks into that, we found another job in, in a restaurant. It was a Cuban restaurant. And I started working there as a busboy because I didn't know enough English to to be a, a waiter. So I was like, okay, let's be a bass boy. So they didn't even know. I mean, and they said, you have the bass boy job. I'm like, what is that? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? And I'm like, oh my God, I had to clean all these things. Yeah. So, you know, it was like very happy. Uh, you know, at that time, I felt that every time I, I they took another step, I was closer to my dream. So, you know, and what, I was very what, happy. What was that ultimate goal? What was the dream? To find my, my job as an architect. Working for that somebody my, else, or did you always yes. know that you wanted to start well, I, your own? I, I wanted to start my own firm. That's what I'm going to do. But I knew the, the first step, I needed yep. to gain experience. Right. So uh, I started working as a busboy, you know, making money to pay my bills, doing everything I needed to do. And during the same, during that time, uh, when you come as um as an immigrant, the first time we came with tourist visas. We, you have like six, at, at that time, we had like six months to be in the country. And then you need to leave, you know, it's like six months to, to be a tourist. So I had that time to understand, learn, and do all the paperwork to to stay legally and work as an architect in the United States. So I had to contact um, lawyers and understand just the system on immigration, how things are. Then I found out I needed a working visa. And it's an H-1B visa. So I, I learned everything about that, see how things work. And what I started doing is I will have one day off my, my job and I will wake up very early because I didn't have computer and I will go to the architecture firms. So at the restaurant I used to work at, I took the yellow pages, I ripped three pages off with all architecture firms and I will just show up. And I would just be there and say, hey, I'm looking for a job. And they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> do you have a resume? I'm like, what is a resume? Yeah. <laughs> so I found found that out and like, okay, I need a resume. And it is what I what I did have is I had a good portfolio work, my school work, all the CAD work that I did when I was working down there. So I always had that with me. I mean, I was driving with that thing in my car. And, and at one a small firm in here on South Boulevard, part of the south end of town, and I went in there with my portfolio and saw somebody say, hey, I'm looking for a job. And he said, okay, um, what is that? Is that your work? I'm like, yeah, okay, let me see it. So they kind of look at the, the work and they're like, oh, okay, this is really nice. Um, you know, we like it. Why don't you come back in a week for an, for an interview? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, and then I checked back with the um, with the lawyer to understand what we needed to do and said, yeah, we need a working visa. It, at that time, it was about $3,500, which mm-hmm. I didn't have. And they need to fill up all this per- paperwork, you know, with immigration. They basically saying you're they're in charge of you in the country when, when you're here and, and, and they need to sign it, you know, before the six months expire, because then you need to go back. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, so you have to, point, I just want to clarify this. So, so you need to do a whole bunch of paperwork. You have to hire a lawyer that costs mm-hmm. $3,500. Then you have yeah. to take all that paperwork and get your employer to sign it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you need to get that job and you, yeah. need, and you need, and you need to convince <laughs> them to sign the paperwork in order for you to be able to stay. So you have a bunch of uh, whole, many, many hoops to jump through and you have to come up with $3,500 that you don't yes. have because all the money working as a busboy is going directly towards your expenses of paying rent and and paying for gas and 
yeah. doing all the other so things you need to do. At that point, the clock was ticking. I was already like about three months in the country. And now I had the formal interview, which my biggest sell, it was not only, you know, I not only need a job, but I need a sponsor for the visa and and, it, it, and I don't have the money. So it was a really hard sell, but, you know, it was my chance. So you brought like, that you know, up I, right away. So not yeah, only am right I away, looking yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah I had to I had to do it. So like here, this is and I even had the business card of the lawyer. I talked to say, hey, I talked to this person. This is what I need to do. So uh, they told me, well, um, we really like you and we like the work. This is really nice. Um, honestly, we don't have how to check your references or anything. How about you come and we do like a test for one week where we give you some work and you do it. Um, we don't compromise. You know, they say we'll we'll pay you for that for that time. And, and we'll see what happens. So I say, okay, that's fine. So that was a crazy week for me because I'm, I'm you know, I wake up, go early, working kind of part-time there, you know, and I'm like, I feel like I'm touching my dream with my fingers. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, it's almost here. And then I had to go work in the afternoon at, the, at that restaurant yeah. and I had to, you know, you know, mop everything, clean the toilets. I had to do everything. So they gave me some AutoCAD work, you know, like basic things like, you know, can you do this floor planning in CAD? I'm like, sure. So I'm start working like a maniac. I mean, that computer was on fire because I'm like, this is my chance. <laughs> so I worked, you know, at my best during that week, produce as much as I can. And they said, well, we're going to meet because they, they had three partners and we, we let you know. So I go back to my uh, bus boy job and then... About a, a week later, I had a call. It was directly from the lawyer that I talked to before saying, hey, this company contacted me. Just want to let you know they paid for your working visa. You start oh, wow. working next week. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to faint here. <laughs> and, you know, I had that, that day and that call. I haven't impregnated in my mind, you know, where I was, everything, because the first thing I did was to call my mom because it felt so surreal. I'm like, oh, you know, this this kind of dream I had, back there and even here i used to go to uptown charlotte look at the buildings look at the people and like wow one day i like to to be here and, and do these things and and to to have it in my hand it was amazing it was a great um thing for me to to understand that many if you, if you put in the work you can do it and now looking back i realized there were many things that i didn't know and i think they helped me and what what you know, were they? What what is? Where for were example, things? just basic information of the system. You know, coming from a whole different country, like I didn't know much about like social security and credit and how things work. And that you needed a resume, right? I was just the, the when I found that that job, I walk in there and ask for it. Yeah, it, yeah. I went in there like if somebody tells me no, you don't do it like that. You, you need a resume and you need to mail it and then you need to call. Maybe I wouldn't right. get that it, job. It, by not knowing, you sort of uh, pushed through the system, mm -hmm. right? That you, had, that, that you didn't follow the system like everybody else did. So you differentiated yourself by walking into a, an office and talking to somebody and, and being inquisitive, right? You were asking questions and, and learning yeah. and being humble about the fact that you didn't know that kind of stuff. You went right to them and asked them about, you know, told them the yeah. story and, and told them that, you know, here's what I need. You know, I, I want to be a part of your firm. If you want me to be a part of your firm, here's what yeah. has to happen, you know. And so all those things as a young architect, you know, with big dreams, you just went after them. Sure. Yeah. What a great story. Yeah. So, so, so you get that call. Did you quit the other job right away? Just sort of that oh, day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah. No, I never told anybody at the restaurant that I was an architect because I see no point in that. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm going to start another job. And they're like, yeah, you, you're going to another restaurant. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm an architect. I'm they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't believe me. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> they believed me like three weeks later. I took my bosses to eat there. <laughs> That's great. So that was, that was very interesting. That must have been a fun meal. Yeah. <laughs> to have your 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 previous uh, you know, your fellow workers and your employers, you know, serve you and your and your yes. bosses. Very. That's great. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. 
unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size your architecture firm, RCAT.com. RCAT is the online solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and much, much more from leading manufacturers from all over the world. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place, fast and easy. And best of all, it's free. RCAT doesn't charge you anything for these resources. You don't even need to register or give them your email. And when I say it's free, there's no catch. Visit RCAT.com and try it out. Search for the resources that you need and RCAT will deliver. That's RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. Build better. Taking care of your employees has never been more important than now. For years, Gusto's been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, and it does look nice. It also works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks as you grow. As a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, you will get three months free after your first payroll when you go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. And make sure that you let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Gusto, the people platform. Visit entrearchitect.com slash gusto today. Are you tired of spreadsheets? of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time. Spreadsheets, our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with, so they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium-sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suites of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try Monograph today for free. Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So, so, um, so you worked for that firm. How long did you work for that firm? I worked with them four years, and it was it was great. You know, I learned a lot. A medium-sized firm, but very diversified. There were like three partners. And each of them focusing on different project types. One was very focused on church work and churches, the other one residential and the other one commercial. So I got to learn, you know, wood framing, steel framing, restaurants, um, wood structures, concrete structures. And it got to the point where um, there was a time during the firm where I was the only person doing production for the three studios. So it was me doing work directly with the principals. So I learned everything. Yeah. There was nobody nobody between me and them. So I will just get all the knowledge directly, you know, code, um, understanding how building some port together, you know, we're very focusing on understanding the technicality of, of architecture. Did, were they, were they uh, transparent? Did they share the business side of their firm with you? Not much. Not much. That was later on when I started, you know, and I didn't really care at that time. Yeah. It was later on that I started looking at like, okay, this is a business. Now I, 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 there are some things that I like to start learning more about that. Yeah. So you were yeah. there for four years. What did you do after <laughs> that firm? And why did you go, why so, did you go to a different place? So after that, um, there is a long part of the story, which is all the immigration part, because, you know, the working visa lasts three years and then you need to renew it another three years. So there's a, a long story, you know, by, by now I'm a U.S. citizen, but um, there was a lot of things that for, like 
made me wanted to stay there just to keep that status because moving to a different company that means that now they need to be you start over sorry again yeah. yeah but there was a point where i feel that it, that was kind of hitting ceiling in that firm i was doing all the work doing all the production i was not very involved in the business side of of the company and um kind of went out in the marketplace to look for something and 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 i got some really good offers and i was like wow this is really nice hmm. um uh, I, I think there is there is a lot that that i can that i can learn here so i look at a, another firm bigger firm probably four times the size and and they made me a really good offer talk to them also about you know transferring the, the visa and stuff and they say yeah let's go ahead and do it and and i just went and talked to my my previous bosses and say well I, I think i need the next step in my career and these are the reasons and they're they're amazing people i i really uh, appreciate who they are i'm still in touch with them today i mean we're doing projects together and and they were very gracious you know say you know you know we we love to have you here but you know what you think is best for your future however we can support you so it was it was a very nice transition for me yeah yeah that's, so I'm, and that's good that that uh that that bridge was still there for you yes yeah yeah, yeah. and then i moved to another firm where i worked with them about four and a half years doing bigger projects, um, mainly focused on mixed-use developments, retail uh, with um, residential above, parking decks, shopping centers, retail. And that was very interesting just to kind of get on a more national level type of work and bigger scale of projects. Right, so gaining lots of experience, starting mm -hmm. with a smaller, mid-sized firm, learning learning that side, all different types of architecture, then moving to a larger firm that does the mixed-use, larger larger projects, getting lots yeah. of experience. Uh, and you were there for another four years, four and a half years? Yeah, I was there for about four and a half years, and I was there during 2008. We all remember that, that time. Yeah. And you know the firm used to be about 45 people when I joined, and during the downturn the firm were went to down to six people oh wow yeah so they slowly starting laying people off and they kept three architects and i was one of the three they they kept in there and i think part of that was because um, you know i'm i'm i really like the the whole practice of architecture from you know, the business side, marketing, sales, graphics, CA, you know, the everything that involves doing architecture. So I was very helpful for them because yeah. I could do a lot of, you know, marketing material. I could do renderings. I could do CA, construction documents. I knew about code. So I was always very helpful for them uh, in, in that capacity. So during that time, they even cut our salaries back to the three architects we kept there. And we had a lot of days when I was... You know, I didn't have a lot of work to do. So I utilized that time to start working on my licensing here because since my architecture degree is foreign, I, you know, I never had to use my a license because I was always working for somebody else, but I didn't like the fact that I couldn't call myself an architect because I was not a licensed architect. So I did all the research of what I needed to do. And, you know, first I had to translate and do all the transcripts of my education to United States standards and that took me about 18 months because you know it's not only the grading system was different but also the content of the classes might be different and you could see one topic in another year or in another class with another name so I had yeah. to create this huge matrix kind of explaining what goes where and then finally after the last submission I only was required to do about three credits of English composition that I did in a community college here at night and that will give me the equivalent of education which is step one and then after that you know doing all the IDP stuff right yeah so I, I did all that took my test and I became a licensed architect in in 20 I think it was 2010 okay so about 10 years ago time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah. so and you were still with that larger firm at that point. Yeah, I was with that firm, and then my wife was laid off also when 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 that happened, and we got to the point where my wife wanted to 
wanted me to find a he said you need to find another job i'm like how am i gonna find another job so a second job keep this job a second job to bring in more money or 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 something better paid yeah so i was like okay let me just go online and just see what 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 i find so i just i started sending um resumes and i sent one here to to uh the local gensler office and they called me uh had an interview and then you know, it was like perfect timing. So I left the other frame and I start, started working at Gensler in 20, 2010. Okay. And, and Gensler, huge firm. So just moving yeah. up in sizes of, of firms, so one of the largest firms in the world. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so what did you do there? So I started working in a big project they had here, um, corporate headquarters, about 250,000 square feet building. And they basically said, okay, this is your project. <laughs> Have fun. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very interesting. Um, I really um, loved the next the next step because I was like learning and understanding, you know, how things work. So getting to understand how the firm works, um, how the systems work. You, know, I was just so excited and happy to be there and, and learn from, you know, from the best. So it was very interesting, learn a lot, starting getting, you know, getting a lot of traction, learning about the, the business of design, learning how they manage. The, I was always very curious about how they manage the firm and the size, the growth, the quality. And, and I started, you know, kind of getting better, understanding more, getting your, you know, your promotion, your things. And I was there for about six years. Were they pretty open with with teaching you the the, the business side of, of what they were doing? Oh yeah, sure. I think that's that's part of the success of the firm. Yeah, you're always talking about you're talking about the business of design. Every every line that you draw costs money. Somebody's paying for it, and that money comes from somebody's pocket. So it's very interesting because you're always understanding the business of design. And, and I think that was one of the things that more most valuable things that I learned. And then I got to the point where, um, you know, I was very happy, you know, with my wife, my kids, having my career, getting promotions, you know, people stay at Gensler for years. And for some reason, uh, I started feeling, you know, frustrated. I felt, felt something. I was like, man, what's going on? This is what I always wanted. I have it. How right. come I'm not, I'm not happy? And when I, I and I realized I was had kind of given up on having my own firm just because I had such an amazing you know ride and love all the progress that I've been getting in my life, but um, you know I couldn't deny it anymore. So I tried to kind of ignore it for for maybe a couple of years, until got to the point where you know I talked to my wife. We I said you know this is my dream. I know things are, are well, but this is what I wanted to do. So. You know, my wife, who's been my, you know, best supporter, she said, yeah, you have to do it. I believe in you. Do it, do it, do it. And and I said, okay, let's, let's make this happen. So in um, December 2016 is when I made the decision. And then I turned in my resignation my first day in um, January 2017. And I officially started also Studio in February 2017. So three, three years about three yeah. years of going. Mm-hmm. So talk about, um, so that's a wild ride, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> to, to, to hear where you started and just sort of starting with $3,500 in your pocket and just dropping in Atlanta with your brother, uh, working your way all the way through, going through all the barriers that you needed to go through, uh, both with business and integra- uh, uh, immigration. You have all these different pieces that you had to, uh, to accomplish to get to where you are. Finally, getting to a, a fantastic position with Gensler, one of the most successful firms in the world, um, and now you know, <laughs> giving that all up to start your own yeah. practice <laughs> um, with full support of your wife and your family, and and following mm-hmm. your dreams. And I think a lot of architects who start their own firms have felt that um, that that yeah. feeling that oh, I have everything, but I I want my own thing. I want the control and the freedom to to design and build my own life, and. Uh, and so you pull that trigger, 2017. And so what's happened since then? That's three years ago. 
Well, that's been one of the you know best decisions I ever made in my life. Um, I feel very very happy, very fulfilled. Um, the the more time passed, the more I realized why do I feel better and and how this decision means so much for me, you know, as a person and you know as a professional. How I can I have a bigger impact to others when they see that. And and it's been really good, you know. The first these first three years, you know, the, the first the first concern when you do this kind of take this kind of risk is okay. Can I replace my salary? Right. You know, can I make a living without somebody giving me a paycheck? So uh, you know, I prove that now. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I I can. It's it's possible. And you know, that addiction to a paycheck that we all have, it's it's really hard to to give up. But, you know, slowly I can be, I've been doing, you know, very simple things and just kind of doing my best. When I left, I just bought a new computer, got my, um, my list of contacts and I started calling people saying, you know, I started a firm. Um, how can I help you? You know, every single person. And, you know, with the history that I had here working all those years with a lot of different people, I've known many different people in the industry, clients, you know, engineers, just related industry professionals. Everybody wants to help when people see you taking a step of that caliber. Everybody wants to help. And it was very good because it was like that. People started giving me little things here and there. One project, one little project, you know, all kinds, residential, commercial, you know, everything that I, that I needed to do. And your firm, you, you now do not only architecture, but you do brand design as well. And that's a prominent piece of what you do. The Osa Studio yes. is, is a multi, multidisciplinary design studio. It does architecture and brand graphic work. How did that happen? Why, why the, the brand side? It was very interesting because, as I mentioned before, I've always been very passionate not only about the technicality, production, and design, but also graphics, renderings in, in the architectural spectrum. So I always like um, brand design. I like, you know, I'm always following uh, brand design firms, um, web design trends. I'm always very up to date on what's going on and communicating um, your brand through through a computer to a website, how the flat world in design works. And one of the things that happened, it was while I was being an architect, you know how you get all these vendors that they come to you to show their products because, you know, the one you have in their projects, it could be, you know, carpet-like fixtures, you know, roofing, anything you, you want. And I will see their business card and I'm like, oh, my God, who designed this? <laughs> you know, like they were they, they did not pay attention to their own branding. Or the brochure was uh, kind of like, you know, not, not in the high-end design category so i started to to tell people hey man you know that if 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 you improve your design quality you're gonna appeal to us which we are designers with your target customer because we're specifying your product you will get our our attention so i started helping people here and there just kind of giving them advice until somebody hey can you design a logo for me i'm like sure and i designed a logo and then it got to the point where i taught myself how to build websites and i started developing these packages focused on architectural vendors because I'm the target customer. I know what we like. I know what kind of aesthetic an architect is going to focus on. So I started developing business card logos, uh, websites, and and making money on the side, just having that side business. What was interesting was that my target customer was coming to me. I wasn't looking for them. They were coming to sell me their products and they would leave buying me (laughs) design services (laughs) so i was like okay there is something here and then i got more interested into not only you know how the graphics and the um the the exterior of the brand works but now the i the the sales process the the value that you bring to the customer helping them understand how we think so when i started doing um architecture on my own and i started having conversations in the marketplace with you know, general contractors, developers, and brokers, people that are in the industry. And I brought up these conversations about branding sales. They say, hey, can you do this for me? I'm like, sure. So I started work. I've done things like consulting for general contractors when they're going to interviews for big projects. Because yep. I've sat on the end where 
we evaluate the contractors. So I help them put together a unique story, right? Because everybody comes to the presentation saying we're the best. This is our history. We're yeah. going to be on time, budget, on a schedule. We're the best. But everybody's telling the same story. So I got into storytelling, um, you know, marketing, sales process. How do you be authentic? And it, it became a huge part of my business because it's within the industry. Um, my clients are, you know, general contractors, product reps, other architects are my clients as well. I help them clarify their message in the marketplace. And, and that is becoming a really important thing that helps the brand of my own firm where we bring that unique differentiator to the marketplace that is not only adding another services or another service like design a website or a logo. I understand, you know, that's, that's like the surface, but getting to a deeper understanding of what's the unique value you bring to the marketplace and how do you help your target customer understand that value in a very simple and clear way. Are you are you providing that service integrated with architecture, or is it really two separate markets? Uh, it's two separate markets, but not by design. I would love to do it together. Yeah. Um, sometimes you know one thing bleeds to the other side, and that's one one of the things that I, I think uh, it's evolving with the firm. It's you know how these two things integrated become more um, a design mindset, uh, kind of a design thinking approach to problem solving. It's just the process is the same, but the, the execution is different. Is it two-dimensional or three-dimensional or is messaging? Right, yeah. right. And it really helps sort of diversify your work. So when architecture slows down, you have other types of work that, that potentially could help fill some of those gaps. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how sometimes, you know, it, it really varies. Uh, sometimes I get you know, more than 50% architecture revenue and sometimes it's more than 50% brand design consulting revenue. Yeah, yeah. So what yeah. type of what type of architecture do you do now? Most of the work that I do is uh, commercial office buildings, uh, a lot of workplace interiors just because of the network that I developed in the past is within that industry. Uh, we do some adaptive reuse projects. Um, I've done a couple of restaurants and a little bit of residential. Uh, I like residential a lot in terms of building type, but in, in, in the market, it's, it's hard to, to compete. There's some really good architects here. And, and you know, at the level that, that you really want to be good at it, it's, it's, you know, it's a market that I, I'd rather don't do. Yeah, yeah, the residential, a high-end residential market in Charlotte is small and it's very competitive. There's really, yeah. there's many, many really good architects out there doing that work. The majority of residential work in Charlotte is big developer stuff. So it's yeah. mm -hmm. so that's the majority of what's being built here. And so that market is really small. I love that you're sort of focusing on on commercial. What's interesting about that that market right now with COVID and this this pause that we're having, I think when when business comes back, uh, that whole market is going to shift and that I think there's going to be a really big uptake uptick in the in redeveloping office space into new ways of working. Yes. Um, yeah, and I think you're going be to be very, very well positioned for that, uh, for not only doing that work, but to have that other type of uh, branding side of it as well to sort of build the systems that, that come along with that new way of working. It's going to be very interesting for architects in the next five, 10 years, really. Sure. Yeah. Uh, fascinating story, Jack. I appreciate you coming by and taking a, taking a few, few minutes to, to tell your story. It, it, it's, it's very inspiring to hear people who've come from, you know, ground zero, you know, working your way all the way up, literally with $3,500 in your pocket, uh, all the way up to starting your own firm and being successful there. So um, you can see why Jack and OSA Studio uh, was the winner of the Charette Venture Group uh, Architecture Business Plan Competition. If you're interested in that, you should go to charettevg.com and go learn all about Charette Venture Group and the work that they're doing. Um, they do that program every year, so look for it at the end of 2024, the beginning of 2021, if you're interested in uh, applying for that competition. Um, his name is Jack Osa, O-S-S-A, osastudio.com is the website. He's all over social media, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, he also does a podcast. The podcast is called The Power of Design Podcast. You can about it, hear about and learn about it at thepowerofdesignpodcast.com. 
um, and you can learn more about. So what, what do you talk about in the podcast, Jack? So the podcast explored the intersection of architecture, construction and real estate. The main purpose was to create a space where I invite all the players in charge of creating the built environment. So somebody needs to design it, somebody needs to build it, somebody needs to sell it, rent it, and do transactions. So it's been a very interesting experience. It's been a year since I started. I've, I've learned so much because it's creating conversations with professionals that we work all the time together in the project environment, but we don't have a space to have deeper conversations about not only what we're doing, but about who we are. So the, the podcast is connecting those those three areas of creating an environment and really powerful built environment. Yeah, we'll have a link to that and everything else that Jack is doing at our show notes. Uh, the podcast again is thepowerofdesignpodcast.com. Jack, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you the one question that I ask everybody here at Entree Architect Podcast. What is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? What we can do today is to bring our design mindset into business. I think for some reason, we think design and business are different things, but they're not. I mean, it's, it's the same brain thinking about proportions, uh, alignments, uh, function. We can use that same mindset and that same knowledge to apply it to design our business. I think that will be a breakthrough um, new discovery for many people when they realize you already have what it takes to create an amazing business. It's just, just need to switch, flip the switch. That's very good advice. Great mindset shift. I think people ought to pay attention to that because I agree with you, Jack. I think that uh, business and this, the game of business is very much similar to what we do as architects every day. It just takes, yeah. it just takes a mindset shift to focus on it. Uh, and apply what you already know to your business. So fantastic suggestion. Thank you. You have been listening to episode 339 with Jack Osa of Osa Studio, winner of the Charette Venture Group Business Plan Competition, the Architecture Business Plan Competition. You can learn more about Charette Venture Group and the only Architecture Business Plan Competition that I know of in the entire world at CVG's website, charettevg.com. That's charettevg.com. You can learn all about Charette and what they're doing over there. Jack's story, Jack is so inspiring. His story is so inspiring to me. And stories like Jack's is why I love this podcast, why I keep doing this month after month, week after week, and why it keeps growing, why this podcast keeps growing month after month, week after week. Did you know, here's some stats, that the Entree Architect podcast has been downloaded more than 2 million times. Probably closer to 3 million because there's a section at the very early, uh, at the early stage of the podcast where I lost a bunch of data. It's at least 2 million times. And this episode and episodes from the archive of more than 330 episodes, I think it's actually more than 340 episodes, they're downloaded more than 50,000 times every month. 50,000 downloads per month. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's incredible. I, I can't believe that. And that isn't because of me. That is because of you. Because you share each episode with a friend each week. And each week we grow. Slowly but surely, this podcast is growing to become the most listened to podcast for small firm entrepreneur architects in the world. And that's because of you. So thank you. Thank you for sharing the link to this episode, the episode every week. This episode, this week's episode is entrearchitect.com slash episode 339. So that is the link to share. Please go share that and we will continue to grow. Thank you. And before we head out here, I want to share one more link. I know there's lots of links. Every week there's lots of links. So the link to share is entrearchitect.com slash episode 339. The next link that I want to share is entrearchitect.com slash brand webinar. Write that one down right now. entrearchitect.com slash brand webinar. That is the link to register for our free training with Jeff Eccles. Who's Jeff Eccles? If you don't know who Jeff Eccles is, you aren't listening. You're not a, an active member here at Entree Architect. Jeff is the host of the Build Your Brand podcast, which you should go over and listen to all 12 episodes, 13 episodes. There was actually just a bonus episode. 
go listen to the entire podcast. He's the host of the Build Your Brand podcast. He's the creator. He's also your guide at the daily context and clarity live call, the video call every weekday inside the private Entree Architect community Facebook group. He posts a question, you answer the question, and he has this one hour long live call every day inside the Facebook group. So if you're not a member of the group, EntreeArchitect.com slash group, I know, another link. On Wednesday, September 9th, Jeff will be presenting uh, two sessions. Two sessions. They're going to be the same webinar. Two sessions, one at noon uh, and one at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Noon Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on September 9th. He will present uh, the Build Your Brand webinar. And he will share the simple to follow Build Your Brand framework and help you build your brand into something that your best clients will recognize, remember, and keep coming back to. So we're going to walk you through the process, the framework of the Build Your Brand uh, process that we've created, that we teach in the workshop, that we've that we've based the podcast on. We're going to do a webinar where we're going to share that framework and help you understand how to apply it to your architecture firm. So two, ep- two webinars on September 9th, one at 12 noon, one at 3 p.m. Eastern, entrearchitect.com slash brand webinar. Super easy to remember. entrearchitect.com slash brand webinar to reserve your seat. You have to register to join. So go join right now. Register for free at entrearchitect.com slash brand webinar. We hope to see you there. Be well, my friend. Be happy, be healthy, safe, and secure. And remember, the offer still stands. I, I, I mentioned this Uh, a few weeks ago, actually maybe a couple of months ago, if you need assistance, I know this stuff that's going on in the world is stressful, right? So if you need some assistance or you need just an ear to listen to, reach out to me. I mean, like literally reach out to me because we're here for you at Entree Architect. So if you need someone to listen, reach out to me. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening, my friend. We'll see you next week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, 
Jeff Eccles, and Katie Kangas as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. <laughs>